Hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our latest podcast. Hi everybody, it's Tom from Cricket Coach 365 and welcome to our latest podcast where I'm delighted to be joined by Dr Jane Powell. Jane is a former England captain and coach and by uh, that combination is in an, in an exclusive club of one, I believe. So we're very uh, fortunate to to have Jane uh, join us on the podcast. And good morning to you and very uh, much welcome to you, Jane. Good morning and thank you for inviting me onto your podcast. Looking forward to this. It's a pleasure. Um, and as I've explained to, to you and anyone listening uh, to the podcast will know, the, the one question we ask all of our guests is simply to sort of describe, explain or tell that first moment or recollection of when you uh, were involved in the game of cricket. Yeah, that's a, that's a very easy one in a way because my dad was a keen local cricketer in Sheffield and so uh, every Saturday, Sunday and Wednesday nights with the Midweek Alliance we'd be at the cricket grounds in, in Sheffield. So. Uh, I, I say we because I'm a twin, so uh, my twin sister and my uh, older brother and I and my younger sister were, were taken to cricket uh, on all those occasions. And when you looked at it, mum was making the sandwiches and dad was playing cricket. And uh, my twin sister and I quickly thought it looks like a lot more fun out there on the field rather than in the kitchen making sandwiches so that everybody else could eat them. So it was a bit of a no-brainer. We just kept pestering Dad that we wanted to play cricket. So that's what we did. That's uh, our first uh, connection with the game, really. And what, So what was the club that your dad played at? Well, he played at various ones. The, the Robert Brothers was one. Sheffield Collegiate he played at, but also... Um, he played at City Surveyors. You know, there was two or three clubs he played at. I remember him uh, being captain of the Midweek Alliance in the William Stones Cup, and the final was at Bramall Lane, you mm. know, and most people will recognise Bramall Lane as the home of Sheffield United, but in those days it was a county cricket ground as well. Uh, and I can remember it distinctly, you know, him with this cup. That I think that cup was about two and a half feet to three feet high. It was an immense cup and uh, he seemed to win it every year, but one year he lost and I can remember crying because we'd lost the cup, mm. you know, and my dad was very much like, you know, get over yourself, really. <laughs> you know, that sport, you win some, you lose some. You know, but yeah, so those were the recollections growing up, really. And how old were you when um, you remember um, your twin and yourself pestering your dad to, to actually get involved in playing as opposed to being helping your mum uh, with the teas? Uh, we would have been sort of eight, nine pestering. And by the time we were 14, uh, I can remember fielding for my dad's team. Okay. Um um, he had one of us, we were very good fielders, so one was at square leg, one was at cover, you know, and it quickly went went round the league. You know, I think uh, it started off with guys thinking, oh, it's only a girl, just put it out there. And we, we had about six or seven run outs, you know, wow. in two or three games, and it quickly went round the leagues, you know, don't run, run to those losses, <laughs> you know. So that was the, that's how I remember starting, you know can also remember batting for his uh, when I was about 16, 17 and some guy was literally running him from the boundary to bowl. He was a fast bowler and I remember Dad saying, he'll play it fair, just get forward. And I can remember thinking, oh, crikey. So I, I got forward and I think it caught me on my toe and I was like, don't show that that hurts. But he did. He played it very fair because playing against men, the only, the only difficulty was the high lifting you know, the ball that rose sharply, the speed was okay. It was just the height that it used to pass you. So, yeah, a very good learning background, really. Well, so, I mean, you had the protection, I guess, and support of um, being in your dad's team. But what what was it like in reality being, um, you know, with your sister, being the only uh, girls playing in a in a men's side? Didn't, didn't really think of it because, you know, I think with all girls, you just think you're playing cricket. Mm. Uh the fact that you're playing against men was, well, that was all we could do at that stage. But then we discovered that there was a Sheffield Ladies Cricket Club. Wow. So Dad quickly got us involved with that. And then 
recognised there was Yorkshire and uh, I think from the age of about 15 we were both playing for Yorkshire women in the under, I think it was called the Junior Six Aside Tournament and, and then we were involved in the women's game all the way through but still turned out for Dad's team you know, because that's where you got the best practice, really, at that stage. Because women's cricket at that stage, the nearest club would probably have been Wakefield um, and North Riding. But then you were travelling on a Saturday to go and play Wolverhampton. You know, there weren't many clubs, so you got used to travelling long distances. But midweek, it was great just to go to Graves Park and play in the Midweek Alliance you know, and play for dad's team. So it was just you played where you could play at that stage, but I didn't really think about the fact we were playing against men. It was just good practice. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, a common subject that's cropped up in uh, previous episodes has been that one of um, travel because there wasn't or there weren't the opportunities then to uh, to play as many games locally. Um, so if you were keen to play, you, you literally had to go, you know, to far uh, flung places to to get opponents um and that's why yeah, we would regularly jump in the car and go down to um um just north of uh Berkhamstead, hemel hempstead way to play against wow. vagabond you know and that was a normal saturday just to travel from sheffield all the way down there so it, it was just part and parcel of playing the game that you loved mm. you just you just traveled mm. and what about school was there any cricket at all for you at school yeah, funny enough, we did have a school cricket team at, uh, that was Abbeydale Girls Grammar School at the time. We had to take the 11 plus in those days and managed to pass to a grammar school. So we did play at school. So very grateful to various teachers there. And some of them are more well known in the um, lacrosse and and uh, hockey world, you know, Lynn Robinson and um, Celia Brackenridge, you know, but they they sort of encouraged us to play sport and uh, we just played everything, you know. I mean, we literally played whatever sport we could, of which cricket was has always been a first love, mainly because of dad and, and family connections. So that's what we try to do. And you mentioned that um, from a, a very young age, 15, I think you said that, um, you, you know, you were introduced to Sheffield Ladies and then the Yorkshire Pathway. Um, so just tell us a little little bit about how that kind of developed over over time from that first yeah. introduction. Yeah, interestingly, you know, at that stage, you know, and I think about it now, I think, you know what, it would be a really good, good way to di- still do it, is that we played this six-a-side competition and we used to travel down to some fields near Morden in Surrey uh, and we'd sleep on a, a church hall floor. So this is representing your county, you know, so... <laughs> I have to remind myself that, wow, it was a very different world in those days. We literally took a sleeping bag and we were on a a floor and we slept. But then we played this six-a-side competition the next day. Um, And it was was one of those where um, if you didn't score off every third ball, then you lost your score. Oh, yeah. So you... Uh, but you retired at the uh, once you got 25. So, you know, you'd frequently get to 20 and suddenly pressure was on. But I guess it's like the nervous 90s and people are going to be shouting out, must score. Uh, and that was the dreaded, you faced two balls and not scored a run type thing. Uh, and then you'd see some people lose their score, you know, and just this idea of rotating the strike was something you learnt at a very early age and that's why I think it's useful still in today's era because I think we started just going for big shots all the time when actually rotating the strike is a real skill in itself and then from that then they would select a junior England side so and junior England would play matches against traveling teams uh, um, and I remember as Junior England, uh, one year we got selected, the uh, two of us, and uh, we toured Yorkshire and it was like, oh, great. We've been selected <laughs> to Junior England and we're actually touring Yorkshire. And it's whilst Yorkshire is a great place to tour, that's where we played all our cricket. So we were and uh, looking forward to somewhere slightly different, yeah. you know, you play against the likes of Holland or Denmark or some of those island in those days. So... Uh, but, you know, it was just um, sometimes it was once you got selected, it was harder to not get selected as a talented individual. So you were just in the programs then and you were you were known. So um, it was just I, I just used to look forward immensely to the six aside tournament because it was where we first got success. 
and you know we again you know we played as as, twi- um, as twins in that side and then into young England and I think we're a trivial pursuits question who were the last twins to play cricket for England so there's another mm. piece of trivia for all your listeners you know Jane and Jill Powell are still to, uh, to my knowledge the last twins to play cricket for England um but we we progressed through to the young England side, and uh, as young England, you know, the first World Cup in nineteen seventy three that women played before the men. We played as a young England side against Jamaica at the at the Oval. So we 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 were playing at these big grounds as youngsters, and uh, whilst we weren't in the public eye, you know, and I often say, you know, I'm from the hidden years years because, you know, I can walk into any cricket ground in the country and be quite anonymous. You know, and I'm pleased to say that that's not the case anymore for, you know, from Claire Connor, from Charlotte Edwards, mm. uh, moving on. I think there is a, a visibility now that wasn't afforded us back then. But uh, mm. we had some great experiences, you know. I played at many of the top cricket grounds in this country. I played at Lords, I played at the Oval, I played at Headingley, I played at Edgbaston. You know, and you can just reel off the... The, the county grounds that you've had the the luxury, the privilege of playing at, but um, people probably aren't aware of that, that we did play at those grounds in those days. Mm. What 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 was it like? Um, you, you, you spoke, and I think, again, um, for the benefit of the listeners, I, I, I can see um, Jane as she's talking, and you know, her face lit up when she spoke about the Six Aside tournament. So... That six aside tournament for people who aren't so familiar with it. Um, who who were the um, who who took part? Uh, was it a full representation of counties up and down the country? Uh, or not in any shape or form. So basically, you had the Middlesex, the Surreys, the Kents, Sussex, uh, but then you'd have East Anglia, which was basically Norfolk. So anywhere, uh, Lincolnshire, uh, Hertfordshire, they all blended together. You had um, the West, which was anything, Somerset, Cornwall, Devon, Gloucestershire, you know, they all formed together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Thames Valley, which was Berkshire, Bucks, uh, Hartford, you know, sort of all those areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had Yorkshire um, and Lancashire, but that was it. So there was probably only about 10 teams, I would think, in total, which, you know, when I look at the 100 now, I'm thinking, you know what, that was probably about the number of teams that we had back then, mm. where you had groups of people who came together. No way did we ever have county teams because we didn't have enough players in some of those areas and the strength was important. So the West were quite a strong team, but if you think of all the counties, Hampshire, Cornwall, Devon, Dorset, Gloucester, and I'm probably missing out some county and Wales that they all were together mm. for the West. Uh, you know, so it was a very random number of counties, but only about ten in those days. Yeah. And was was there um, was it a festival kind of feel? I know you said that you slept on a, you know, on a, a church hall floor. I mean, how long did the tournament last? It was just a weekend. Um, and and the other two that I just missed there was East Midlands and West Midlands. So yeah. that was East Midlands was basically Trent uh, Trent Rockets and West Midlands mm. was ba- basically Birmingham Phoenix. You know, so you had those two groups. But um, um, it was very much a, it was the national championships, and that's okay. how we regarded it. So whilst it was uh, it was serious, so it wasn't festival in so much as let's just go and enjoy ourselves. We mm. were down there to win that was our aim was to win and get selected for England so we all knew what the purposes were to get selected for England and to to win the tournament and uh, I'm pleased to say I think we did that on a regular basis you know so yeah I think from uh, from other people I've I've spoken to Yorkshire were the ones to always fear um so yeah you you obviously your your reputation was definitely there to be uh, yeah. to be looked at in that way who who's who was the the sort of the brainchild behind that that tournament. Do you know? Well, the Women's Cricket Association had been going some time, and it was overseen by quite a few people. You know, um, who oversaw it? I'm not sure because I think it started way back in the 1930s, really, when uh, 
the Women's Cricket Association came on board, you know, and uh, I latterly went on to teach in Malvern and just over the hill in Colwall was where the Women's Cricket Association was formed. So there were various people, you know, I can, yeah, Mary Duggan, you know, there's so many names of the past that I'm not sure who it, who invented it, so to speak, but I think it was just one that evolved as it went through. I mean, then latterly, obviously, the Women's Cricket World Cup, that was the brainchild of, you know, the, the, the very famous and infamous Rachel Hayhoe Flint, you know, yeah. Yeah. with Jack Haywood. Um, and, you know, to... I remember going to that final in 73 at Edgebaston and um, Junior England were there to uh, present um, Jan, Jan Allen, as she was then, Jan Southgate, presented a, a bunch of flowers to the, uh, right, to Princess Anne, you know, and it, uh, it was just like big for us in those days. So there were lots of people who just gave a lot to the game. Uh, purely because they love the sport, but I can't, I can't think who the individual was. Who no, no, that's, uh, I mean that, that that's uh, that's a brilliant um, sort of answer in, in itself. You know, understanding a little bit more about the Women's Cricket Association and the and its origins. Um, and and when when you then said that you know you recognised that it was such an important tournament and there was a, an opportunity to be selected for Junior England, when when that. Um, actually came to pass for yourself and for your sister um in in what in what way did you find out oh it was uh, it's an old-fashioned letter in the post job because uh, i'm not even sure we had a telephone at home uh it sounds like we were, must have been from the dark ages and i think well you know when i was young we used to go down down the road to the the telephone box if we wanted to make a phone call you know it just wasn't something that we had in our house you know so and you know <laughs> I mean it seems quite funny doesn't it now with email and zoom and teams and all those sort of things that we waited for a letter in the post mm. and that's uh, that's what we did when we got a letter in the post and it was very exciting it was always one of those worrying times in those days you know your exam results came by post everything came by post so mm. you just to wait for the postman to arrive and uh, sometimes you didn't know when that was coming so uh, I'm not sure we were waiting for it although we were probably hopeful that we'd be getting it within two weeks of playing in the tournament and if you tell people now that you have to wait a couple of weeks before you find out the result of something they'd probably mm. be horrified that you had to wait that long but that was just part and parcel of a part of the process that's what you did and mm. You know, I say to people now, and uh, the results of things like that uh, became immaterial because you played the sport or because you loved playing the sport. Mm. So it wasn't going to determine whether you carried on playing. It was just going to be a nice addition to what yeah. you were doing. Uh, because I'm not sure you fully appreciated what it would lead to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and did you both get a letter or was there one letter to the two of you? Um, do you remember? That's a good point. Uh, I think we got a joint one in those days, you know, and even latterly when uh, Jill got picked for the England team um, 79 uh, and I had to wait till 81 for the seniors, 80, no, 83. Um, I think we got, uh, she got told she was in and I got told I was 12th man uh, on the same letter. So it was like high euphoria for one and quite disappointment for the other, especially when you're twins, because you can imagine that was dig, dig uh, a few times, you know. But, you know, that's part and parcel of family life, isn't it? It's not anything against Jill at all. You know, it was just we had to learn to deal with triumph and disaster just the same as it says in Rudyard Kipling's If um, What Is More, You'll Be a Man, My Son. But, you know, it was very much... Yeah, we used to get similar, you know, the same letter, and we were known as the twins, which, um, yeah, was quite tough at times. <laughs> what? How, how did your mum and dad um, support you in the in the in in those times where, uh, let's say, as you as you just described, your sister kind of got in a little bit earlier to the main uh, full England team uh, as you. Uh, of a school of hard knocks from a Yorkshire upbringing it's like deal with it pull yourself together work harder um mum and dad would support us continually but very rarely in person because they couldn't afford it mm. so even when we went down to a junior England training session down 
somewhere in Surrey that time. I remember them putting us on the overnight bus from Sheffield mm -hmm. and it was known as, it wasn't the milk train, it was a bus, but basically it stopped at all stations. Mm -hmm. I think we got on the bus at 10 o'clock at night and arrived in London at 5 a.m. the next morning. Um, and the, that was before the underground and trains had started. So for some reason, I can remember waiting at Hammersmith uh, for somebody from the um, the uh, squad to pick us up uh, hmm. to go on to the game, you know. But you know what? We didn't even think about it. And it it was safe to do so in those days. So it wasn't a question of, oh, that was, you know, sort of child. You weren't being careful. It was the only way we could get down there and the cheapest way of getting us down there. And we just did it. We played the game. We got back on the bus to come home the next night. So I don't think we slept properly for, for the two nights, but it's just what we did. Um, and I, I recount it now and I think, crikey, it does sound like Victorian times when, you know, we're talking here about probably the 70s, mm -hmm. 1970s. So we're talking about 50 years ago. Um, and I'm sure people would be absolutely gobsmacked to think that's what we did. And, mm -hmm. you know, you know what I loved it I love the fact that we did that I love the fact that we were determined and that nothing was going to put us off because we love playing the sport mm. yeah that comes through um, loud and clear already I think um, for, for for everybody um, from what you said um, so so do you, what what tell us a little bit maybe about the actual uh, training session so you know you this this sort of big adventure of getting on the train overnight getting down to london the two of you waiting for someone to pick you up and then getting off to training so what what do you remember of those training sessions and those coaching practices yeah i mean training was virtually a practice match you know uh, we would do some little fielding drills we do catching and you know we do some of the drills that they do now but we certainly wouldn't in the early days we didn't do much actual running training now I was playing my twin sister and I Jill played for England at netball and I played for England at hockey so uh, we were well we were pretty well trained because they were a little bit ahead of the game so we would be doing uh training you know the actual physical, physical fitness stuff, side yeah. of things through, through those other sports but certainly at cricket we wouldn't be doing those it would be very much nets uh, or um fielding practice is what they called it you know so we'd be doing catchers and we'd be doing throwing um we didn't we wouldn't have even done um anything on top of that, as far as cricket was concerned in those junior England days, it was only when we were young England that we suddenly started discovering that we should be training as well. And uh, I mean, this is um, this one always makes me laugh. Uh, I think this was way, way into the 1980s now, 1988, uh, when uh, we suddenly discovered that we should be doing training. And we had a physio who uh, we were at Lillishaw. And she said, I'll meet you at the top of the drive. And anybody who's been to Lillishaw will know it's a two-mile drive. And she said, right, you're going to run down the drive and um, I'll follow in the car. And every time I beep the horn, you've got to run quicker. Well, you can imagine. That went down like a lead balloon, you know. But it pulled the group together as a group. So it worked, but I'm not sure it worked for the purposes that it was set out to work. But, you know, you think about it now and you think, oh, my goodness, people just wouldn't understand uh, that scenario. But again, because of, you know, I, I remember watching a film about the first channel swimmer and uh, he had to drink um, whiskey to keep warm and take uh, smoke cigarettes to improve his lungs. You know, there were things that perceptions and myths that people had in those days and we've come a long way since then I'm pleased to say but they were just things that we went through where this physio followed us in the car and kept hooting their horn in the car to make us run quicker um but all good fun all good fun um I mean I'm I say it's good all good fun it's it, it with you know tongue-in-cheek because I think if like you've just suggested I think um if, if those kind of methods were adopted nowadays with uh with young cricketers I think you'd know what the end end result would be <laughs> I think I think yeah, well I think you know even the sleeping on a church hall floor yeah. would probably get taken to the taken to the course you know but you know it's just what we did in those days <laughs> and, and from a um 
from you, you said you made your debut in '83, but your sister um, um, played and represented England um, a few years before that. So, again, from your perspective, um, was it another letter that you received? Um, how did you find out that you'd been selected in the into the main group? Yeah, still letters. I mean, in between those times, um, we had a, a young England tour to okay. India. Wow! Um, so that was '81. Um, India had just started. So I think the perception was that we, could, we we weren't going to send a full-blown England team because they, you know, you've got to remember in 73, we won the World Cup uh, and then we were in the final in most of the others. So we sent a young England team to uh, India. My twin sister was captain of that, interestingly. Um, and we went for a seven-week tour of India. And um, I can remember it was the first time I'd been on a plane you know, I was just absolutely blown away. Um, never been on a plane before. And uh, to do seven weeks in India, where we did umpteen plane journeys and train rides, uh, we played five test matches. And it it's a bit of a disappointment in some ways, is that they're not recognised as being full-blown tests uh, because, they, because we weren't a full England side, whereas India were a full test. That was their full side. Um, and we played five test matches, we played five one-day internationals and we played numerous other representative games. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, was, uh, it gave me a love of India. I subsequently been back there 11 times. I've been over and coached Indian women's cricket. I've worked closely with Indian women's cricket. But it was just fascinating and they give... They, they say you either love or you hate it. I absolutely loved my time in India. And it was just, they just love cricket. Absolutely love cricket. And uh, probably still one of my most stoic innings. I think 73 not out for seven not out to save a test match was one that I pride because we didn't lose the test match. Um, whereas I quite enjoyed Going after the runs, I was a bit more of a sort of run scorer rather than a stoic number. You know, I, can't, I think I must have gone in about number five at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, but seven not out in 73 minutes, I think, was a great innings. You know, so lots of lovely memories of playing in India in 1981. But even for that tour, I can remember having to pay, I think it was something like two or three hundred pounds towards the flight. And then... Once we got to India, India looked after us over there. So mm -hmm. basically the way cricket operated in those days was you you contributed to getting yourself to the country, but then they looked after you in the country. So when any team came to us, we had to raise money for the accommodation for the opposition, all the food and transport for the opposition. Mm. Uh, and we would still have to contribute as players as well. So a very different situation. Situation. I remember the bill for my first blazer was £73 or something, which if you think about it, I've still got it. It's still a prized possession, but that was a lot of money mm. in those days. Um, so we had to do our own fundraising. Uh, I remember mum at the time was working at Thorn Thornton's and they gave me £100 and that was a lot of money. And I was like, wow, thanks. You know, so, yeah, but it was a very different scenario. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so important that um, yeah, the I mean the the range of guests that we've had on uh, the, the the podcast so far, um, you know, go back to um, quite quite a long time to give a sense of perspective, um, and to to younger players and and younger, um, you know, members of uh, of clubs that, that are listening with their with their parents or their um, their elder relatives, uh, an appreciation of. Of, of what of how things have changed and 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 you know even to the extent of um only it's only the last couple of years really where professional contracts have come into uh to play in this country for for women outside of the international circuit but it's quite it's quite incredible i still think to to listen to you um saying that you know you in the in the 80s you were in england okay it was uh maybe not the full side as you say but it was still england going to india uh, and you had to raise money uh, to actually, you know, be able to go. I mean, what, what were there any, were there anybody, or was there anybody who um, couldn't go because they couldn't afford it or couldn't raise the money? Was do you remember yeah. that at all? I, I don't think anybody couldn't go. I think 
it was tough for a number of us. I remember, you know, I've many times remember going to matches and, you know, probably a bit like club cricket now where you'd finish the game and you'd go for a drink afterwards. Mm. And I can remember not having any money to pay for a drink. Mm. You know, I'm feeling quite embarrassed about it, but I wouldn't have told anybody. I think there was a pride in those days that you just didn't tell anybody if you were struggling. You just did your best to, mm. to make it happen. And, and that's why mum and dad didn't come and watch us a lot because they were so busy trying to help us mm. uh, fund various things so that we could go. But um, I guess it, I don't recall anybody not going because they couldn't afford it, mm. but it was t- for a number of us. Mm. You know, it was hard work. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, it sounds as though you did really fall in love with India. I've only been once, but I would love to go back again. And you're absolutely right to say that they are, you know, cricket mad. Um, and, uh, um, and, and, you know, that's obviously still the case now. And the, the infrastructure in place for the women's game in India compared to what it was when you first went over there is probably like chalk and cheese. Um, but just... Yeah, getting better, I they're still a way off. They're still a way off in India, but they've also, a lot of their ex-players are the ones who are the movers and the groovers. Your Shantaranga Swamis and your Shabangi Kulkarnis have done an immense amount of work. Sudashar, But, you know, um, they don't get the support that the women in this country get mm. as much. So mm. it's coming. I think I read this week that Surav Ganguly has said that um, there'll be a women's IPL next year. So mm. hopefully that'll yeah i think that would sort of uh, put it onto a, a different stage wouldn't it altogether if that was the case and let's let's hope that that does come to uh, fruition yeah. as you say um so so may, maybe now it would be great to hear you know what it felt like when you first found out that um you'd been given a you know, a full england call up um um you know <laughs> It's interesting because I think I was 12th man about 21 times or something. Right. And I often say to young people when I'm speaking to them, I could have given up 21 times. You know, mm. if you don't get picked the first time, don't give up. I mean, and the other the other key message to me is I played the game because I loved it. Mm. So I just kept playing because I loved playing. So when I got the uh, cap eventually, I was absolutely thrilled. And I it was almost a point into disbelief and it was against New Zealand um, and I can remember um, I went out to bat at Hastings and that was an interesting one in itself we were playing in in uh, Hastings and we weren't allowed to start the one day international till gone noon because they have a bylaw that you can't play on a Sunday before noon because well you can't play so we had to start after 12 o'clock but I was batting with the great Jeanette Britton and we had a complete mare and almost met in the middle of the wicket and it's like and I think she might have been on 20 not out or something and I'm like and I went don't worry I'll go and I ran to the end where I would have been run out and I can remember Ingrid Jagasma who was a brilliant wicketkeeper and she fumbled the ball and I wasn't out and I was like wow I'm still in. Uh, I think I ended up with 37. So I did okay, you know, and I was quite pleased with the the contribution. And uh, I can remember coming off and Rachel Hay Hovlin was the manager at that time. And she said that she used me as an example of team, you know, this is a team player. Mm. This is somebody who was willing to give away her wicket for the benefit of the team. And this is what we want as we go through. And I think... I liked, and that was one of the best moments of my life because, you know, Rachel was somebody to be looked up to. And Mm. when she said that, I just thought, that's what I want to be known as. I want to be known as a team player, Mm. even though, you know, in cricket, you do get one or two who play for their own averages. That wasn't what I was there for. Mm. I was there to win the game and win it for England. So, yeah, it was an interesting first first outing, but yeah, absolutely thrilled. And so, how, how um, what, what other places did you go to? What other sort of uh, standout moments were there for you in, in your time with England? Yeah, I think uh, being chosen as captain for 1988 World Cup mm. uh, in Australia was the highlight of my uh, recognition, if that makes sense. And we went to Australia and uh, we, we started in, in Perth. Uh, we started at the Wacker. Um, and Rosalie Park, and then we went on to um, to Melbourne and ended up 
we were a very young side at the time and we weren't expected to do very much. But we, we got to the final and we got to the final by beating Australia in the game before the final to get to the final. So we actually beat Australia in 88. And at the, then we played at the at the MCG, you know, and I, I look back at last year's um, T20 final at the MCG where they had 80-odd thousand people watching and I'm thinking, hmm, because it was a bit like um, you could hear the echoes going around the ground when we played there. I think we had about 2,000, which was a big crowd mm. in those days yeah. in, in Australia. Uh, but it wasn't the same as last year. And uh, unfortunately, and I... It was one of those, it had rained overnight and I won the toss and we'd beaten them the previous week by batting first. So I thought, you know what, we'll bat first. But the outfield, it wasn't, it's not like nowadays where they get the super sopper out or mm. the rope out and, and the ball just wouldn't travel. Mm. So I don't think we scored a boundary, which, you know, we had some brilliant players. We had some players who would have stroked the ball to the boundary, not big hits necessarily, but they would have pierced the field. And we pierced the field numbers of times, but the ball just never got to the boundary because it was so wet. And then by the time Australia batted, the ground was, was dry. We did get a wicket. That was, sorry, we... we um, Lindsay Reeler was one of their best players and she flicked one down leg side. And Lisa and I, Lisa Baldrini, took an amazing catch and it wasn't given. Mm. And, uh, you know, you just think, oh, if that had been nowadays with DRS, with all the sorts of things that you have, maybe it would have been a different outcome. But we, we didn't win. We came second. Mm. And then those days, I was devastated, absolutely devastated. And now I think, wow, you know, we got to a final and probably feel a little bit like the men's under 19 who got to the final of mm. the World Cup and then missed out the last hurdle. They're probably devastated now. But you know what? We were second in the world, you know, and I think you got past all those other countries to get to the World Cup final, and that's got to be worth something, you know. So that would a highlight playing a, a World Cup final at the MCG. I guess not many people can say that, let alone they captain their country in a World Cup final at the MCG. So, yeah, that's a, that's a bit of a highlight. Um I came back into a test series in 87. Uh, Jeanette Britton had broke a thumb. I wasn't selected in the first one. And I came in and uh, it was at Blackpool. And I can remember scoring, it was against India and I scored 115 not out. Uh, so that was quite a nice innings. It was nice raising my bat and going, drop me now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was another good one. And I think that was the springboard that enabled me then to go on to captain in 88. So that was a, a big moment for me to show that I had the capabilities of playing at that level. This time I was coaching, uh, sorry, I was captaining Yorkshire. I think I captained Yorkshire for a number of years. Uh, must have been going on for eight or nine years. And we won the National Counties Tournament, which was West and East Anglia and West Midlands, we won that tournament uh, three or four years on the bounce. So, yeah, lots of highlights, a uh, few lowlights, you know, which you sort of seem to forget. In 87, we played at Lords against Australia and the day before, I can remember them timing us, going down from the dressing room, down the stairs, because in those days, well, even to this day, you you come out through the long room. Mm. But in those days, we weren't as welcome at Lords as we are now. Mm. And so they timed us going down the stairs, down the next stairs, out the back of the pavilion, around the back of the pavilion and onto the field of play because they didn't think it was right that we walked through the long room. However, we couldn't do it in under three minutes. And the rule in cricket is if you're not mm. out within that time, you're timed out. So they had to let us go through the long room. I remember walking out and I could hear some guys tutting going, never thought this would happen in my day. And it was so frustrating because, you know, you thought... I'm playing for my country, for your country, representing your country. And so your mind was all at odds. And that was my low light, if I'm honest, because mm. I was still angry when I was out at the middle and I I didn't bat well, mm. didn't bat well at all, you know. And uh, it's not their fault. It's my fault for letting it bother me. But you just think, oh, God, that was a bit of a low light mm. when it should have been highlight. So lots of ups and downs along the way and nowadays the girls play at Lords and they are 
they're, they're welcomed and they're lauded and you know it's just fantastic i love the fact that the girls can play at lords and even play in the hundred and even play in county matches mm. uh whereas for us it was it was one of those places that we we look forward to playing at but um it wasn't quite as welcoming in those days mm. how would you describe your captaincy style before you moved into coaching and hear a little bit about that what what, what kind of captain were you um, I think um, I was I was very objective. Uh, so you know, if you weren't bowling well, then you were off. It didn't matter who you were. Um, I'd like to think I was quite attacking. I'd like to bring in short legs and silly points and things like that. You know, when I thought that the, um, but yeah, I, I I'd like to think I was a bit of a you know I wanted to win, but I also wanted to encourage players who. Um, were coming into the team to be to know that they're worth as well. So any, and I think that's why um, eighty eight was a success because in ninety three we won the World Cup again, mm. and most of those youngsters I'd taken to the World Cup in eighty eight were was were four years further on in their development and won that World Cup. So I like to think that I had a small part to play in that in giving them the experience, but. Give, giving them the confidence that says, you know what, we beat Australia in 88, there's no reason why we can't beat them as we go forward in 93. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. So perhaps it would be great to hear a little bit about your transition from playing days to coaching and, and, the, and being in this exclusive club of one. Um, so how, how did that all come to, to pass, Jane? Yeah, um, I mean, I, I loved... Um, Whilst I was playing, I'd, I'd also qualified as a PE teacher. Mm -hmm. So I'd done my first coaching awards at the age of 18. Um, and uh, I was progressing through those coaching awards. I think it was called the old advanced in those days. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd done the advanced. Um, and then uh, when, when I finished, when I finally retired playing cricket in 91, um, I, I went into coaching hockey so I'd been play I played for England hockey as well as cricket so I was also a hockey coach I've done my level one two three and four in both sports so um I did the coaching awards in both of them and then um I was encouraged to come back into into cricket uh, in must have been 98 so I was coaching England under 14 under 16 hockey um I'm sorry, under 18 hockey at the time. Uh, and I came back into cricket and I took on the, um, what was England A in those days? Um, and uh, worked, Paul Farbrace was coaching the women's side. So I worked with Paul Farbrace as well in that. And then Paul stood down and I took over the senior women's squad in 2000 uh, for a, when Australia came over just before John Harmer came over so I think people say you know how can you coach all these sports because I'm now working in lacrosse and I do turn my hand to coaching lacrosse at times and you know I try to uh, tell people you know we coach people mm. that's fundamentally what we coach we coach people to play hockey to play cricket to play lacrosse so as long as you have an understanding of the technicalities and the tactics of those games there's no reason why you can't coach various sports because coaching is about getting the best out of a person so it's about observing analyzing reinforcing or correcting anything that's not going well for that person and just helping them to be the best version of themselves they can be in the environment that they're in so it became fairly second nature to me to then transition back to cricket and you know uh, cricket's my first love so it's that's where I see myself primarily that's my that's my driving forces cricket is something I grew up doing something that I've always kept an eye on always been involved with so coming back into cricket was something that was quite second nature really to do what what would you say um, were the key cont contributory factors to you finding coaching to be you know sort of a natural thing for you? Was it um, family background? Was it uh, stuff you learnt about yourself as you grew older and played more sports? Was it your teaching? Um, 
Was it captaincy yeah, or was it elements yeah. of all of those? We need to travel back in time because when I was finishing school as an 18-year-old, there were no options for women except being a PE teacher mm. if you wanted to carry on in a sporting life. The only other thing I could have done was join the forces and being a PTI. Mm. That was the only two job opportunities uh, and I loved helping other people be successful. I think that's where captaincy comes in as well, you know. So for me, being a PE teacher was fantastic because I love sport. I loved seeing people develop. I loved seeing people. So teaching and the opportunities of what you could do in those days were were very focused. So coaching just was a second, was a byproduct of that. You know, when you're teaching, there's an element of coaching there anyway. So yeah. for me, it was just what I'd always wanted to do. So um, I think it's more difficult these days when you see that you can have sports psychologists, sports performance analysis, performance analysis, physiotherapy, you know, all those jobs now that are related to the performance element of sport. I think that it's more complex to make decisions, whereas in those days it was just very straightforward. Mm. It was teaching and coaching. So I didn't have any other options, but it suited me fine. So I never really looked anywhere else. That's what I wanted to do. Mm. I, th I think um, it's lovely what you say about, you know, coaching is about helping others be successful and helping others uh, develop and be the best version of themselves. I think that's a lovely uh, philosophy. Um, so so post um, your position as, as head coach of England, um, you know, what where, where did your... Uh, your cricketing journey continue from from there to the present day yeah that's an interesting one because I wanted to uh, carry on with coaching England cricket uh, but because um, I was a level four coach by that stage I'd upgraded my advance to level four I'd work with people like Tom Moody and John Bracewell Peter Moores you know the greats uh, of the current era but there was the only job that was available for women coaching cricket at that stage was the England women's job as a professional. Um, and sadly for me, they decided to give it to a man. Uh, so there was nowhere left for me to go in coaching terms as a professional. So that's when I then went back to hockey and I ended up as head of coaching for England and GB hockey for Beijing and London. So I, I was lucky because I was adding to my knowledge and my experience through multi-sport events, you know, and I'm, I'm looking forward to our women playing in the Commonwealth Games coming up. But it's also given me an insight that I'll be able to share with our coaches with regards to preparing a team for a multi-sport environment. So it gave me insights and environments that I wouldn't have got had I stayed in cricket. So working in hockey was great. So that's where I went from there. And then subsequently, I've then gone to performance director at England Lacrosse, which is another different area to work in, which is interesting because that's still self-funded. So it's it's almost like going back in time to when I was playing, where the players have to pay for their uh, opportunity to represent England. Uh, and then in the last year, um, I've come back uh, part-time. I've gone part-time with lacrosse and I'm now part-time with the coach development department at England Cricket, England and Wales Cricket Board, and I'm working as advanced coach support. So I'm now working on the scholarship programmes and uh, working with the regional women's coaches to uh, develop their programmes and develop them as coaches so it's great I'm just loving the fact that I'm back with cricket you know it is my first love and I just love being involved and helping these people be successful um, and you know I've had the real privilege of working with a number of different people on interview panels to look at different uh, appointments coming up in the men's game as well so yeah it's been a, a roller coaster but I'm just uh, just loving it and just love being involved back with cricket well, what a story, Jane. I mean, um, in, in terms of, um, I think it's always, the, for, for me doing this podcast, it, I'm the lucky one because uh, I get to uh, to listen in, in the sort of the, uh, the front seat, as it were. Um, and what I try to do is to not necessarily know that much detail about uh, the guest that comes on so that it's fresh when I when I hear the, those anecdotes and those accolades. And 
I think um, you know to go back to that first recollection of uh, you and your sister um, going to watch your dad and uh, and finding out sooner rather than later that you wanted to play rather than you know join your mum to um, you know to listening to you know all that those incredible chapters in your playing career then coaching career. Uh, not just in cricket, but in other sports. But obviously, your passion and and real love is is in cricket. All the travelling that you did from that first tour of Yorkshire <laughs> to to then you know <laughs> India and Australia and and other places, uh, quite an incredible um, story in itself. And you know, I think I wrote down and highlighted things like um, you know one of the things that's come through loud and clear from listening to you is you you really loved playing the game you know that that was the thing all all those struggles all those low lights but it was about loving the game that kept you um kept your sort of uh, enthusiasm going um and an- another thing i made a note of was that accolade that you were given by uh, by Rachel uh, for being a team player um that uh, you know was you were so proud of but then taking the team to the final of the World Cup um, in 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 nineteen eighty eight, and but but then working with the likes of Tom Moody and Peter Moores and Paul Farbrace and Co. That lots of listeners of the of the current um, you know current uh, era of cricket will know. So, yeah, just an an amazing story, and again, such a I I I, I don't know whether I like the phrase about the did you call it the forgotten year the hidden years I think you the did. hidden years yeah yeah the I hidden just, era. Yeah, I think it's quite it's quite an interesting turn of phrase, but I think the, the th- one of the common characteristics or the themes that have, again have from come through from me listening in the, in that front seat um, privileged position is the humility and modesty of everybody that I've spoken to, of which you're no exception. Uh, but to to kind of have that, um, I, don't, I mean, it is an exclusive club of one, not just for the captaincy and coaching, but all those other things as well. I would I would argue so. Thank you very, very much for sharing um, that with us and I really appreciate the time. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Thanks for listening, everybody. As a reminder, each Cricket Coach 365 podcast will be released every Friday at 6pm on Spotify and Apple Play. After listening, please leave us a positive review on Spotify and share it with your friends and contacts. You can also follow us on Instagram at cricket underscore coach 365. Have a great day.